Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, thank you so much for attending our Bible study for this evening. We're going to continue with the book of Exodus. Last off, uh, we studied uh, all about what the people of Israel did, the inconceivable thing that they did against God himself. And this was the creation of a golden calf that they ended up worshiping. And so the father, Yahuwah, our God, he was, of course, angry with what the people of Israel had done. Nevertheless, because of God's grace and long-suffering, God has given them another chance. However, we need to look deeper into the long-suffering of the Father. Because of what they did, what was the instruction of God to Moses? Let's read the book of Exodus 33, 1 down to 3. This is what it says. Yahuwah said to Moses, leave this place. This was on Mount Sinai. They have been there for quite some time, receiving the commandments. The covenant was made there between God and his people, which of course was broken. The tablet was broken. The covenant was broken. The people were in disarray because of what they'd done against Yahuwah. And so God says to Moses, okay, leave this place. You and the people you brought out of Egypt and go to the land that I promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. I will send an angel to guide you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. You are going to a rich and fertile land. But, and here's the big but, but I will not go with you myself because you are a stubborn people and I might destroy you on the way. And so Yahuwah says to his people, it's time to leave and go to the promised land. So God does not take away the promise. He gave a promise. He, may, he means to fulfill, fulfill it. And so he tells his people, he tells Moses to tell his people, they're going to get their blessing. However, what, at what cost? Yahuwah says, but I will not be with them myself. In other words, God will not be with them. Now, if you were the people of Israel and you got that message, which basically says God is going to give you this rich blessing, but he's not going to be with you. How would you feel about that? You get the blessing, but you do not get the, ble the one who gives the blessing. There are people who find that okay, right? So long as you will bless me, even if you are not close to me, that's okay. How do you feel about that, brothers and sisters? When God will say to you, I'm going to give you everlasting life, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to give you what you need, but I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to heal you of your sickness, but I'm not going to be with you. How would you feel about that? Probably hurt, right? Because our preference is not the gift, but the giver of the gift. We want fellowship with God for us. Fellowship with God is better than what God can give to each one of us. Well, how about the people of Israel? How did they feel when this message was given to them? Let's find out. Let's read what is recorded in verses 4 down to 6 when the people heard this they began to mourn and did not wear jewelry anymore for Yahuwah had commanded Moses to tell them you are a stubborn people if I were to go with you even for a moment I would completely destroy you now take off your jewelry and I will decide what to do with you so after they left Mount Sinai people of Israel no longer wore jewelry how did the people of Israel felt when God said, okay, go get the promise that I have given you, but I will not be with you. Bible says they were in 
mourning. Well, that was a good sign, right? Because when you mourn, when you repent from your sins, it is the first step towards restoration. We all need to be restored because as human beings, we commit sin against God, right? None of us are perfect. And so we always need restoration, but restoration can only begin when we repent deeply from our hearts. At least the people of Israel had that going for them. However, what is their character and nature? Yahuwah says, but you are a stubborn people. We need to learn from the stubbornness of the people of God from the past. And so the people of Israel, that was the package deal. God will send an angel instead of he himself because he does not want to destroy his people Israel. And so what if the people wanted to consult with God? Let's read verse 7. Whenever the people of Israel set up camp, Moses would take the sacred tent and put it up, put it, put it up some distance outside the camp. It was called the tent of Yahuwah's presence. And anyone who wanted to consult Yahuwah would go out to it. Prior to this, remember how God directly led his people with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, right? It was in their midst. This time, the presence of God is outside the camp. And so God was showing them there is distance now between him and his people because of the sin that they have committed. And so when the people wanted to consult with God, it had to be done through Moses. And there was a sacred tent that he put up. This is not the tabernacle. Remember, God gave Moses the design for the tabernacle, yeah, right? But the tabernacle has not been constructed yet. It will be constructed in the future. In the meantime, what did Moses do? Because he has the design of what God wants to happen so that people can fellowship with him. He constructed a temporary tent, a tent of meeting or a tent of Yahuwah's presence. It was through that tent that the people of God can consult with Yahuwah. And so what would be the process? Eight to 10, whenever Moses went out there, so that he had to step outside of the camp of God's people, and he went to the tent of meeting, the people would stand at the door of their tents and watch Moses until he entered it. After Moses had gone in, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the door of the tent. And Yahuwah would speak to Moses from the cloud. As soon as the people saw the pillar of cloud at the door of the tent, they would bow down. So what was the process when they wanted to fellowship with God, they wanted to worship him? He had to do so from a distance right? Because they had to stay in their own tent, their own camp. And so they watched Moses set up the tent, his tent, the tent of Yahuwah's presence, and Moses enters inside. And then what do they see from a distance? The pillar of cloud. What does that indicate? The presence of Yahuwah, our God. So when they would see that, they would bow down and worship together with Moses. This was the process. And so when Moses is inside the tent, and Yahuwah's presence is with him. What happens there? 11, Yahuwah would speak with Moses face to face. This is why Moses was unique among the prophets. 
Bible says the other prophets, God speaks through dreams and visions, but not with Moses. With Moses, I speak to him face to face. You see how special Moses was? He was very special to God. He would be the mediator of the old covenant. This is why it's called the Mosaic covenant. God spoke to him face to face, just as someone speaks with a friend. And Moses would return to the camp. The young man who was his helper, Joshua, son of Nun, stayed in the tent. Joshua was very attracted to Moses and his relationship with Yahuwah. And so he stuck around and he wanted to be close, close with Moses and with Yahuwah, our God. And so because of this relationship that Moses had with God, special relationship, like a friend, he was known for the three, the three requests. Moses had three famous requests that he made of Yahuwah, our God. Do you still remember what the three requests were? What was the first request? Let's read here, 33, 12 to 13. Moses said to Yahuwah, it is true that you have told me to lead these people to that land, but you did not tell me whom you would send with me. You have said that you know me well and are pleased with me. Now, if you are, tell me your plans so that I may serve you and continue to please you. Remember also that you have chosen this nation to be your own. And so the first question basically was understanding or knowing the intention of Yahuwah. What was God's intention in the first place? Why would he allow his people to go to the promised land without him? That he would send just an angel instead of he himself? And so yeah, uh, Moses was kind of concerned. Are we going to succeed? What was Yahuwah's intention? Was it to expose the sin of Israel? And so what was Yahuwah's response? Verse 14, Yahuwah said, I will go with you and I will give you victory. And so we can see Yahuwah telling his friend Moses, Moses, I will go with you. I will give you victory. What was the second question of Moses, the second uh, request of Moses? So far, so good, though, right? So you should keep doing that. 15 to 16, Moses replied, if you do not go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you are pleased with your people and with me if you do not go with us? Your presence with us will distinguish us from any other people on earth. And so what was the second request of Moses? Basically, Moses is saying, Yahuwah, do not just go with me. Go also with the people of Israel so that the people can see there's a distinction between the people of Israel and the others. How is that? When God's presence can be directly seen going along with the people of Israel. So this was the request of Moses. Pretty bold request. I wonder what Yahuwah said upon that request. Let's read verse 17. Yahuwah said to Moses, I will do just as you have asked, because I know you very well, and I am pleased with you. Moses, he has it pretty good. When you have the creator of the universe pleased with you, I don't think you have to be afraid of anything else, right? This is why our number one goal in life, I want you to remember this, our number one goal in life is to please who? God. There's so many people nowadays who try to please other people. Nothing wrong with that, right? 
There are people who want to please her employer. Nothing wrong with that, right? There are people who want to please their family members. Nothing wrong with that. But above all, the one that we should try to please is who? Yahuwah, our God. And so we need to follow the example of Moses. Moses really wants to know Yahuwah, our God, at a deeper level. And so what was the third request? This is a beautiful one. In verse 18, then Moses requested, this is the third request, please let me see the dazzling light of your presence. Did Moses get a chance to taste and see with his own eyes the presence of the Father himself? Yes. When he received the Ten Commandments, when he went to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, when he was with him, he saw the dazzling lights. But for Moses, that wasn't enough. He wanted more. You see, there's something about Moses that really pleased Yahuwah our God. What was that? Moses always wanted to deepen his relationship with Yahuwah. He wanted to know more about God. We should be the same way. We should always want, we should always try and find ways to deepen our relationship with Yahuwah our God. This is why for us, when we found out the name of Yahuwah our God, we were so filled with joy because we want to deepen our relationship with who? The Father. And so when Moses made this request, what did Yahuwah say to him? Let's read verses 19 to 23. Yahuwah answered, I will make all my splendor pass before you. And in your presence, I will pronounce my sacred name. You see, whenever God will bring his presence to people, he always makes sure that his name is pronounced. Why? So that people will know the character that is attached to the name. You see, there's an actual name that God wants us to know that we must associate with his character. Yes, God has a character. And he wants us to know all about his character. However, he wants us to understand this is attached to his name. This is why he pronounced his sacred name. I am Yahuwah, he said, and I show compassion and pity on those I choose. I will not let you see my face because no one can see me and stay alive. But here is a place beside me where you can stand on a rock. When the dazzling light of my presence passes by, I will put you in an opening in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but not my face. And so when Moses requests, I want to see the splendor of your dazzling presence, your light. What did Yahuwah say? Okay, but you cannot see me face to face. What does that mean? We cannot be in the immediate direct presence of the Father, his face, and live to tell about it. Okay? Not yet. Our bodies still have to change. Now, we, can, we cannot survive the glory that God has because it's too powerful. And so what does Yahuwah say? Let me pass through the rock first, and then you can see me from my behind. In other words, what Yahuwah is telling Moses, you cannot survive directly experiencing me. But the after effect, because that's what it, it essentially means, when it says, you will see my back, but not my face, God is telling Moses, the after effect, the after blow, after God passes through a place, Moses will be able to withstand that. And so it was not a direct uh, presentation of God himself. So when it says God spoke to him face to face, it was not really face to face because he would not survive that. It simply means God 
communicated with him as he would a friend. And so when it God, when God says, I will show my face or other parts of his body, it doesn't mean he has a physical body. It's called anthropomorphism. It's a way of helping us understand the glory of our Father. And so the good news is the Father is pleased with Moses. And because of Moses' unselfish intercession, God has also accepted the people of Israel again. There's a restoration between God and his people. And so because of this restoration, what does Yahuwah instruct Moses to do? 34, 1 to 4. Mo, uh, Yahuwah said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> Remember Moses? You broke the tablets. So he says, okay, I'm going to get new tablets for you. Get ready tomorrow morning and come up on Mount Sinai to meet me there at the top. No one is to come up with you. No one is to be seen on any part of the mountain. No sheep or cattle are to, uh, to graze at the foot of the mountain. So Moses cut two more stone tablets, and early the next morning, he carried them up Mount Sinai, just as Yahuwah had commanded. So to begin the restoration, what did God say to Moses? We have to restore the tablets, right? That was not enough. What else does Yahuwah say? 34 verse 5, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and pronounced his holy name, the Lord. Now, I kept this in the TEV translation because I wanted to point out something here. This is why it's so, it, you can see there was a tampering in the actual original scriptures, right? It says, the Lord came down in the cloud, stood with him there, and pronounced his holy name. The Lord is his holy name. What, the, what does that show you? It shows you that whenever you see L-O-R-D in capital letters in the Old Testament, in the English translations of Bibles, it doesn't mean L-O-R-D. What does it stand for? The tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of Yahuwah. This is why the adaptation that we use, Yahuwah came down in the cloud, stood with him there, and pronounced his holy name, Yahuwah. Why did he pronounce his name? Because he's going to experience the presence of Yahuwah and Moses, uh, Yahuwah wanted to make sure that Moses associates that name that Yahuwah himself pronounced because it's important to him that he associates that name to his character. And so after, after pronouncing the name Yahuwah, what does Yahuwah God want us to know about himself, which is connected to his name? Let's read uh, verses six to seven. And Yahuwah passed before him and proclaimed, proclaimed the name. Yahuwah, he said, Yahuwah God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so Yahuwah, after passing uh, through before Moses and descending like a cloud, what does Yahuwah say? He says, Yahuwah, Yahuwah God is merciful, gracious, and long-suffering. What does it mean that Yahuwah God is long-suffering? Even though we don't deserve the mercy, the goodness of God, he provides it anyways. That's why part of the long-suffering of God is that he, he abounds in goodness 
and truth and keeping mercy thousands of generations. However, being abounding in love and goodness does not mean that God is no longer a righteous and holy God. This is why he also mentions by no means clearing the guilty. It doesn't mean he's going to tolerate wickedness. Because there are people who, think, who say and think if God is a God of love, then he should tolerate wickedness. No, God is a holy God. God is a just and righteous God. And so he will not tolerate wickedness. He is by no means clearing the guilty. However, at the same time, God also abounds in love and goodness because of his long suffering. And after showing himself to Moses, what does Moses immediately do? Uh, 34, 8 to 9, Moses quickly bowed down to the ground and worshiped. He said, Lord, if you really are pleased with me, I ask you to go with us. These people are stubborn. But forgive our evil and our sin and accept us as your own people. So Moses please, pleads to Yahuwah that he go with them. And he was counting on the long-suffering of the Father. And so because of the long-suffering of our God, what does God do? He restores the tablets, or at least plans to restore the tablet, because he wants to restore his relationship with his people. And so the long-suffering of God is something we need to understand about his character. And we are fortunate because God is long-suffering. Why? Well, what are some of the characteristics of the long-suffering of Yahuwah, our God? If you go to the New Testament for, for a bit, in 1 Peter 3, verse 20, it says, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. What is one characteristic of the long-suffering of the Father? It's pa He's patient. He's patient with humanity. And so, even though we deserve to be punished, God gives us the opportunity to repent. But we should not waste that opportunity just because God is patient. It's just part of the long-suffering of God. What else? It's the character of the long-suffering of Yahuwah our God. 2 Peter 3.15 And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, was written to you. What else is the characteristic of the long-suffering of the Father? He provides us with what? Salvation. How so? By giving us the unthinkable. Who is that? His son, Yahusha HaMashiach. And so the long-suffering of the Father is, number one, patient. Number two, it provides. He provided Yahusha HaMashiach for us because of his long-suffering. Not because we deserve it, but because God is long-suffering. And with that long-suffering comes a manifestation of his love. What else? 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many here are 50 years old and above? Raise your hands. 50 years old. One, two, three. I'm counting from all the different uh, Zoom stations. How many are raising their hands? My Frank is raising his hand. Lo is raising her hand. We have some here. I can't really see all of you, but I know you're raising your hands. 
you know, when you were younger, your, gra your grandparents probably told you, you know, judgment day is like soon, it's gonna soon happen, right? How many of you heard that when you were children? Yeah, it's almost judgment day. I told my kids that too. We even have uh, some brethren in the local congregation of Lancaster. Minister told them back in 2000, yeah, you can go ahead and adopt those kids. They're not gonna grow up to be teenagers anymore because in a couple of years, we're gonna have judgment day. So they adopted the kids. <laughs> and so years went by, they're like more, they're adults already and judgment day hasn't happened yet, right? So brethren, judgment day was promised long ago, but it hasn't happened yet. Why? The Bible says it's not because he's lax or slack in his promise. It's because of his what? His long suffering. Because of the long suffering of God, he's not yet putting an end to the world because he does not want anyone to perish. Instead, he wants everyone to receive salvation, to come to repentance, to receive the promised salvation. So because of the long suffering of God, we can count on the patience of God. We can count on the provision of God and we can count on God's purpose of salvation for all of humanity, which is what he wants. But of course, it's up to us whether or not to accept the salvation of our Father. And so the long suffering of God restores things. That's what we have going for us. And so the next time we fail and mess up, remember the long suffering of God. He gives us the opportunity to come back to him. This is why God not only restores the tablets, what else does he restore? Exodus 34 verse 10. Yahuwah said to Moses, I now make a covenant with the people of Israel. In their presence, I will do great things such as have never been done anywhere on earth among any of the nations. All the people will see what great things I, Yahuwah, can do because I am going to do an awesome thing for you. Look at that, right? Just a while ago, God said, I'm not going to go with you anymore. Now, he says, I'm going to do an awesome thing for you. He's going to restore his covenant. I now make a covenant with the people of Israel. What made this possible? The long suffering of God. Because of that, we can be restored as his people. But what does God mention? What does he remind his people about? Let's read Exodus 34, 11, uh, 13. Obey the laws that I am giving you today. I will drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites as you advance. Do not make any treaties with people of the country which you are, into which you are going. Because this could be a fatal trap for you. Instead, tear down their altars, destroy their sacred pillars, and cut down their symbols of the goddess Asherah. And so what is the instruction of God? God says... When you enter the promised land, make sure that you do not enter into any kind of treaties or agreements with them. Why? Because the influence of wickedness will overwhelm him. He doesn't want the, that they will become a trap for them. And so what else does God want to make sure of that his people now fully understand? Exodus 34, 14 and 17, do not worship any other God because I, Yahuwah, tolerate no riots. Do not make any treaties with the people of the country. Because when they worship their pagan gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you to join them. 
and you will be tempted to eat the food he offered to their gods. Your sons might marry those foreign women who would lead them to be unfaithful to me and to worship their pagan gods. Do not make gods of metal and worship them. So God warned them about idolatry. Anyone who engages in idolatry is becoming like a, is, is uh, endangering their own relationship with our almighty God. Hopefully the people of Israel would have learned by then, by now, right? But because we know what happens next, it's sad to say, God, it's a good thing God has long suffering, right? What else does God remind them about? Uh, Exodus 34, 18, keep the festival of unleavened bread. As I have commanded you, eat unleavened bread for seven days in the month of Abib, which is about March, April, because it was in that month that you left Egypt. What else has God commanded them to do? 34, 19, and 20. Every firstborn son and firstborn male domestic animal belongs to me. But you are to buy back every firstborn donkey by offering a lamb in its place. If you do not buy it back, break its neck. Buy back every firstborn son. No one is to appear before me without an offering. What else does God remind the people of Israel about? It's about the responsibility concerning the firstborn, whether firstborn cattle or firstborn children. What is the purpose of this command? To remind the people of Israel concerning who really owns what. God wants to remind his people of Israel, guess what? You think you have livestock? You think you have children? Well, I own all of that. And so the people of Israel are being reminded by Yahuwah that all of that belongs to him. So every time they were to worship God, what does God expect? An offering. When we give an offering to God, it's an acknowledgement to God that everything that I have really belongs to who? Our Almighty God. This is why when we give offering to the Father, every time we gather together for worship, we acknowledge the fact that we don't really own anything. That we're simply returning a part of what God has given us back to Him. And so let's keep in mind that God, when He wants us to appear before Him, that we must do so with an offering. What else is the command of God? Point one, you have six days in which to do your work, but do not work on the seventh day, not even during plowing time or harvest. What is this called? Sabbath. We'll talk more about the Sabbath in our worship service this coming Sunday. Please attend that worship service. What else? 22 to 24, keep the harvest festival. When you begin to harvest the first crop of your wheat and keep the festival of shelters in the autumn when you gather your fruit, three times a year, all of your men must come to worship me, Yahuwah, the God of Israel. After I have driven out the nations before you and extend your territory, no one will try to conquer your country during the three festivals. And there were three festivals that Yahuwah highlights here. The first one is the heart, the first one was the festival of, the, of unleavened bread, right? Next is the harvest festival, and then the festival of the shelters. We'll talk about that in the book of Deuteronomy, but it's special to God. So much so, he says, no one will try to conquer your country during these three festivals. And when the uh, celebration of the unleavened bread was celebrated, what was the instruction of the Father? Let's read Exodus 34, 25 to 26. Do not offer bread made with yeast when you sacrifice an animal to me. 
Do not keep until the following morning any part of the animal killed at the Passover festival. Each year, uh, bring to the house of Yahuwah the first grain that, that you harvest. Do not cook a young sheep or goat in its mother's milk. That is the practice of pigs, and it's a cruel practice. And so Yahuwah does not want that his people engage in that kind of practice. When they offer bread, it must be with yeast. It must be bread that is without yeast, because yeast represented what? Sin and impurity. And so what else did Yahuwah say to Moses? Let's read Exodus 34, 27 to 28. Yahuwah said to Moses, write these words down because it is on the basis of these words that I am making a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses stayed there with Yahuwah 40 days and 40 nights, right? Eating and drinking nothing. What does that remind you of? Yahusha, right? So Moses is like a type of Yahusha. He wrote on the tablets, the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so here's Moses. He fasted, and this was not a water fast. This was a complete fast. He ate nothing, and he drank nothing for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm going to ask you the following question. Can you survive that long without food? You could. But can you survive that long without water? No. Impossible. You need water. But Moses survived 40 days, 40 nights without food and water. How is that possible? Yahuwah. He stayed with, he stayed with who? Yahuwah. You see, we depend upon Yahuwah more than our daily provisions. Yahuwah is the source of our life, not bread. These are just but instruments of Yahuwah. The truth is, all we need is who? Yahuwah. We don't need these intermediary things. Yahuwah is enough for us. This is why, brethren, we should focus on him. We should not be content with Yahuwah telling us, okay, I'm going to give you all these things, but I will not be with you. No. What we would prefer, what we would want is to be with Yahuwah, even if we are no longer to receive any other thing, right? Because Yahuwah God is enough for each and every one of us. And whenever Yahuwah was with Moses, and then, Mo and then Moses leaves the presence of Yahuwah God, you know what happened to, to Moses? Let's read 34, 29 to 30. When Moses went down from Mount Sinai, carrying the Ten Commandments, his face was shining because he had been speaking with Yahuwah, but he did not know it. Aaron and all the people looked at Moses and saw that his face was shining. They were afraid to go near him. Isn't it true that your emotions are visible in your face? Right? When you're happy, can you see it in someone's face? When you're sad, can you see it in your face? Yeah. You know, when you come face to face with Yahuwah, for example, you are in deep worship. You feel the presence of our God. Can you see it in your face? Yeah. Moses, when he was in the presence of Yahuwah, his face was shining. It was shining so much, the people, they were afraid. Uh -huh. Moses, this is unusual. This is really, really out of this world. And so they were afraid for a little bit, right? Because they saw the shining face of Moses. And so what did Moses say to them? 
Let's read 34, 31, 32. But Moses called them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the community went to him, and Moses spoke with them. After that, all the people of Israel gathered around him, and Moses gave them all the laws that Yahuwah had given him on Mount Sinai. And so Moses began to preach everything that Yahuwah has revealed to him on Mount Sinai. And then Moses would often go back and meet with Yahuwah. What would happen again? 33, 35, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. I want you to keep that in mind. He covered it with a veil, okay? Whenever Moses went into the tent of Yahuwah's presence to speak to Yahuwah, he would take off, he would take the veil off. When he came out, he would tell the people of Israel everything that he had been commanded to say. And they would see that his face was shining. Then he would put the veil back on until the next time he went to speak with Yahuwah. And so every time that Moses would speak to Yahuwah in the tent, and Moses would leave the tent, his face would have the afterglow of being in the presence of Yahuwah, right? And so what does he do? Because his face would be shining. He would cover it with a veil. He takes off the veil when he's face to face with Yahuwah. But when he's to the people, he covers his face with a veil. I wonder why. You'll find out later. <laughs> but what is the significance of this? I don't know. For me, we kind of, kind of envy Moses a little bit, right? I wish I could have what Moses had to feel the presence of the Father so much. Your face begins to glow. You know when Apostle Paul looked at this incident through the power of the Holy Spirit? You know what Apostle Paul said about that? 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 8. The law, the law, the Mosaic law, was carved, at, was carved in letters on stone tablets. And God's glory appeared when it was given. Even though the brightness of Moses' face was fading, it was so strong. It was so strong that the people of Israel could not keep their eyes fixed on him. If the law, which brings death when it is in force, came with such glory, how much greater is the glory that belongs to the activity of the Spirit? Apostle Paul said, consider what happened to Moses when he received the laws that was on the tablets during that covenant because there was no Christ yet. We could not meet the requirements of the law. And because of this, there was always the anger that was attached with disobedience. And so, what did Apostle Paul say? If during the, the days of Moses, there was such glory that it was so strong, how much more during our time, during the Christian era, when we can receive what? The Spirit of Yahuwah our God. This is why, brothers and sisters, every time we gather together for worship, we request all of you, all of us, let's pray for God to send His powerful Holy Spirit every time we gather together because we need it. And the good news is it's available for us. What was available for Moses, it's available for us. The Spirit of our Almighty God. Why? Is it available for us? Let's read 9 to 11. The system, the old ways, which brings condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the activity which brings salvation? We may say that because of the far brighter glory now, the glory that was so bright in the, in the past is gone. 
For if there was glory in that which lasted for a while, how much more glory is there in that which lasts forever? What kind of glory can we have now, which was not available back then? The glory we have now will not fade. It will last forever. Why? Because the activity that is set in motion in the Christian era is the activity that brings what? Salvation. How is that possible? Remember I asked you, why did Moses wear the veil? Apostle Paul answers in 13 and 14. We are not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the brightness fade and disappear. Because if the people would see that the brightness would fade and disappear, it might cause the people to doubt. Moses, right? And so he covered it with, with a veil. Their minds indeed were closed. And to this very day, their minds are covered with the same veil as they read the books of the Old Covenant. The veil is removed only when a person is joined to who? Christ. This is why brothers and sisters, if we want that veil to be permanently removed and experience the glory of the Father that does not fade, we have to be joined to our Lord and Savior, Yahusha the Christ. And if we are joined with Yahusha the Christ, what is that glory that can be manifested in us? 2 Corinthians 3.18, all of us then reflect the glory of the Lord with uncovered faces. And that same glory coming from the Lord, who is the Spirit, transforms us into His likeness in an ever greater degree of glory. And so as we get closer and closer to the great day of our salvation, what, does, what can we expect? What should we long for? We should long for a transformation. What kind of transformation? When we will become more and more like Yahusha, the Christ. And once we finally reach the promised land, what kind of glory shall we have? Philippians 3, 20, 21, but we are citizens of heaven for the Lord, Yahushua the Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like our own, using the same power with which we bring everything under his control. Isn't that nice? The Bible says the glory we will receive when the time comes, it will be glory that is beyond our imagination. Why? Because we will be like who? Yahushua the Christ. Even our physical bodies will be changed. It will no longer be weak. It will no longer be mortal. It will be immortal. Without getting sick. Without aging. Because it will be like the very body of Yahushua the Christ. This is what we have because we're joined with Yahushua the Christ. And this is all possible because of one thing. The long-suffering of our Father. This is why brethren... Even though in our journey, we will fall and stumble, right? Don't give up. Don't ever say to yourself, no, the Father will no longer forgive me this time. Brethren, if the Father was so forgiving with the people of Israel, how much more do you think he will forgive us? This is why we should never hesitate to go to our Father, ask for his forgiveness, and count on his long-suffering. Count on the Father's love for each and every one of us. Praises be the Father for his long 
suffering. Okay, that's our lesson. Uh, it's now time to go to our mailbox. We only have one question today. One question. And this is that one question. One question with a long answer. Right? Is that okay? It is. My daughter's going, oh. <laughs> Here it is. Kanino kayo nakaugnay? Wala na kayong Diyos sapagkat wala na kayo sa tunay na English in Christ. In English, with whom are you connected to? You have no God because you are no longer in the true church of Christ. Okay, that's a fair question. I mean, we're not condemning this brother for asking questions, an honest, sincere question. We probably would have asked that same question when we were still inside the institution, right? And so the question is, is it true that we are no longer in the true church of Christ? I think what we need to do is rephrase the question. His question is, you have no God because you are no longer in the true church of Christ. Therefore, with whom are you connected to? I think the question should be this. How can we know the true church of Christ today, right? Not the true church of Christ 20 years ago. Not the true church of Christ in the first century. The question we need to ask is, how can we know the true church of Christ today? Is that a, a good rephrase of the question? I think we need to know the answer. Because anyone can say, anyone can claim, you know, our church is the only true church. It's easy to say that. We are the only true church for the true English and Christ. So if you're outside of our organization, guess what? You don't belong to God. You're not a true Christian. So you have to be in our group. And so how can we know the true church of Christ today? We have to answer biblically. Is there a biblical answer to this question? What do you think? Yes. As a matter of fact, we can find seven. So I told you it's a long answer. Seven signs. Seven marks by which we can know the true church of Christ today. And it's all in Ephesians 4, 3 down to 6. Let's read it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How can we know the true church of Christ today? It should match the church of Christ in the days of the fill in the blank. How, how can we know the true church of Christ today? It should match the true church of Christ during the days of the apostles, right? Because if there's a mismatch, that's no longer the true church. Because there's only one body, one church, not many churches, one body. So it should be a match, right? And so what is it about the first, what are the characteristics of the first century church of Christ? Which should be the characteristic of the church of Christ Today, well, the Bible says the true church is united, unity of the spirit in the one body. How many here have heard uh, the true church is united? Do you believe that's true? The true church is united? Actually, that's not true. The true church is united is not specific enough. Because the church can be united to do what is wrong. Isn't that what happened to Israel? They were united in doing what was against the will of God. So they turned away from God. Were they united? Yeah. But it was the wrong kind of unity. And so what is the characteristic of the true church? Well, it says there, unity of? Yeah. 
united as one body doing what the spirit wants. You get that? That's one characteristic. What else? One spirit. The same spirit that was received in the first century is the spirit that's received today. That's the true church. What else? They had one hope based on a calling. Anyone can have a hope. If I ask four different people, they have four different hopes. But the hope that should be the same hope of the apostles is based on the calling. That's why Apostle Paul said, when you were called. And so the true church today, it should have the hope based on a calling from God. What else? One Lord. Whoever the Lord was, was as recognized by the apostles must be the same Lord that we recognize today. What else? One faith. Whatever your faith must be our faith. One baptism. Whatever the belief concerning baptism must be our belief. What else? They believe in one God who is the father of all things. And so those are the different characteristics of the true church in the first century. And so how can we recognize the true church of Christ today? One through seven. Do you agree so far? Yeah. Makes sense so far? Yeah. Let's go, let's go down to all seven things. Seven characteristics, beginning with number one, believes in one God, the Father. What is our belief today? Let's read what it says in John 17, 1, 3. After Yahusha finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your son so that the son may give glory to you. For you gave him authority over all the people so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means, means to know you, the only true God, and to know Yahushua the Christ whom you sent. What is the belief of the early Christians about the true God? They believe that the true God is who? The Father, right? How about the Son? No, because the Son said the Father is the only true God. And so do we believe this as well? Is that our belief today? Yes. Our belief is there's only one God, the Father. The Son of God is not the Father, but he was given authority to give everlasting life. This is why we're not saying Yahushua is just a man. No. He's a man in his nature, but he's not just a man. Because Yahuwah made him Savior and gave him authority over all people and to give everlasting life to all uh, human beings. He was given the authority to do that, okay? So that's the first one. So far, so good, right? So based on the first criteria, do we pass? Yeah. Well, what's the next criteria? Has one baptism. And so our practice and belief concerning baptism should match what was practiced and believed by the apostles. And so according to the apostles, number one, what is the meaning of baptism? Number two, how is it administered? Number three, what is the hope of baptism? It's all answered in this passage of Scripture, Romans 6, Three down to five. For surely you know that when we were baptized into union with Christ Yahushua, we were baptized into union with his death. By our baptism then, we were buried with him and shared his death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from death by the glorious power of the Father, so also we might live a new life. For since we have become one with him in dying as he did in the same way, we shall be one with him by being raised to life as he was. According to the apostles, what is the meaning of baptism? Being united with Yahusha in his death. Is this our belief too? Yeah. How is the baptism administered? 
It is likened to a burial. And so they practice immersion. This is what we do as well. Yeah. What is the blessing of baptism? The Bible says by being raised to life as he was. And so the purpose is so that we too can be, rise, can be risen back to life even if we die. That's the blessing of baptism. Do we believe all this? Yes. This is why so far we have passed the first two criteria, right? We believe in one God, the Father, and our belief and practice of baptism is the same way that was practiced by the apostles. Number three, has one faith. So our faith has to be the same as the faith of the apostles. Can we agree on that? It's biblical, right? And so let's find out. Do we have the same faith as the apostles? Well, what is the source of faith of the apostles? What do you think? What is the basis of the faith of the apostles? What do you think? <laughs> Let's find out this faith. What is it about? There's two aspects of this faith that we need to understand. What are they? Let's read 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 17. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from you from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Yahushua. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What is the basis? What is the faith of the apostles, first of all? Their faith was to have faith in whom? Yahushua, right? To place your faith in Yahushua the Christ. Isn't this what we also practice? But what is the basis of their faith? Apostle Paul says, continue in the things that you have learned, which have been written down. He added, all scripture is what? Inspired by God. And so how can we have the same faith as the apostles? When we base our faith on all scripture, not just parts of scripture, if we will base our faith only on parts of Scripture and not all of Scripture, we're going to have a different faith from the apostles, right? If we will say to ourselves, I don't believe this part of Scripture because it was not taught. What are we doing? We're deviating from the faith of the apostles. And so what does Yahushua tell us? What does he warn us about? Revelation 22, 18 to 19, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Bible says don't add. But there are some people today who like to take away from the Bible. On what grounds? It was not taught by the Sugu. Right? If we will believe that, then we are basically changing or deviating from the faith of the apostles. We don't want to do that. We want to have the same faith. For us to have the same faith, we have to accept all of Scripture because we want to have the same faith. So, so far, we have all three, right? Do we believe that we need to learn all of Scripture? Do we believe that? Yes. Yes! We must not add to or subtract from the Holy Bible. And so, how about number four? One... Spirit. The spirit that was given by Yahuwah to the first Christians, the apostles, must be the same spirit that we have today. Can we make a claim for that? Yes. What's the proof? Let's read the book of Acts 2, 1 to 4. When Pentecost 
the 50th day after Passover came, all the believers were gathered in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a violently blowing wind came from the sky and filled the whole house where they were staying. Tongues that looked like fire appeared to them. The tongues arranged themselves so that one came to rest on each believer. All the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Now, what does the Spirit do? It gives us the ability to do things we cannot do on our own. Can we agree with that? Without the Spirit, we cannot do the will of God. So we need the Spirit. The Spirit that was given during the first century to the apostles and the early Christians, is that the same Spirit we receive today? Yeah. What's the proof? Day of Pentecost. Remember Yahushua said to the early Christians, to the apostles, do not go witnessing yet until after you receive the Spirit. And so that they came on the day of Pentecost. When they received the Spirit, they, could, they were able to do what they could not do otherwise. What was that? They spoke in tongues. Because it was, what, it was what was needed during that time to speak in tongues. And so when they were speaking in tongues, how many of the believers received the Spirit? What does it say? Is it just the apostles? Is it just Peter? How many received the Spirit? Is it just the administration? How many received the Spirit? What does it say? It rested on each believer and all, all, all believers were filled with the Spirit. So when they were speaking in tongues, the bystanders, what were they complaining? What, what were they accusing them of? They were accusing them of being drunk, right? What did Apostle Peter say? Let's read Acts 2, 16, 21. Rather, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit on my servants, on both men and women. They will speak what God has revealed. I will work miracles in the sky and give signs on the earth. Blood, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will come, will become dark, and the moon will become as red as blood before the terrifying day of the Lord comes. When, then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when the people thought they were drunk, what did Apostle Peter say? He said, no, the prophecy was being fulfilled. What is that prophecy? That in the last days, the Spirit will be poured out upon the believers. It started there on the day of Pentecost. And it will extend all the way to the end of the world. And when we are close to the end, what will the Spirit reveal? The Bible says that your sons and daughters, my servants, will speak what God has revealed. And what will be revealed right before the day of the end comes? The Bible says they're going to call on the name of Yahuwah, those who will be saved. And so was the spirit, do we have the same spirit that was received by the early Christians? Yes. What's the proof? The spirit that enabled the early Christians to speak in tongues is also the same spirit that will enable us to preach, to speak what God has revealed, including the name. The name of who? Yahuwah, our God. This is why the fact that we're able to do this means we have the same spirit that has been promised by Yahuwah, our God. And so we must not stifle 
We must not quench the spirit of God. How does one end up stifling or quenching the spirit of God? <clears throat> Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. As a matter of fact, what we need all the more now is to look into prophecy. Why? Because that's what will guide us so that we will know what God's will is. But how will we know the prophecies of God? It was by the Spirit that these prophecies were written. It's by the Spirit by which we will understand the prophecies of God. So if we will scoff at prophecies, it's like we're telling God we don't need the help of the Spirit. We do need the Spirit of God because it was promised to us and we use the Spirit of God to understand the prophecies that He has given to us. So, so far so good. One, two, three, four. Let's go to number five. Has one Lord. The Lord that we must have faith in or believe in must be the same Lord believed in and, have, and the early Christians had faith in. I wonder who that is. Who do you think their Lord was? Who was it? Was it James? Was James our Lord? <laughs> Do they have an executive minister that they consider to be their Lord? Who was the Lord that we need to confess? Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, your mouth, that Yahushua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it say? You will be saved. You see how important that is? It's so important. Apostle Paul reminded the early Christians, you have to do this. You have to confess who your Lord is. Who is our Lord? Yahusha. Yahusha the Christ. Who is this Yahusha the Christ that we must confess as our Lord? He's the one who died, but was risen back to life. He must be our Lord. Why did the apostles give such emphasis to Yahusha being our Lord and confessing that he is our Lord? Because there are many imposters. There are many who try to replace Yahusha the Christ. This is why we need to make sure the one that we recognize as one Lord, not two, not one and a half, but only one, one Lord is who? Yahushua. Wait a minute. What does it mean that Yahushua is our Lord? Let's find out. In the book of Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, Yahushua says, and do not do what I say? So what is the meaning of recognizing and confessing with our mouth that Yahusha is our Lord. It means whatever he says, we will obey. If we will say whatever Yahusha tells me to do, I will obey, then we are saying, we are saying, he is my Lord. What is the extent of the Lordship of Yahuwah, Yahusha? This is what it says in John 17 too. For you gave, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. I want to pause there for a while. This him referred to there. Who is he? Messenger? Executive minister? The apostles? Who is that him? Yahusha. What was given to him? The son of God. Authority over everyone. Right? Especially those whom God has given him. This is why those who recognize the Lordship of Yahusha, you know what? For them, whatever Yahusha commands, they will obey without what? Without complaining. So if there is a church and they will say obey and never complain, but not to Yahusha, but to someone else, guess what? 
you just have replaced Yahusha as their Lord. Don't replace Yahusha as your Lord. Because the Bible says he has authority over everyone. Not only that, he has authority as far as everlasting life is concerned. I want you to keep that in your mind, okay? Why? Because like what we said, there are always going to be those who will try and replace Yahusha as our Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul forewarned about this. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 down to 4, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You know what the one authority of Yahushua is? He was given king, he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was giving, he was given the throne by Yahuwah, right? But those who want to replace Yahushua, they will sit on their own throne and they will make themselves different from the rest of the congregation. They will exalt themselves. Remember what Yahushua said, do not be called leader. Do not be called rabbis. Do not be called teachers. Because you only have one leader. Who is that? The Messiah. But there will be those before the end comes. There's going to be a falling away. Why? Because there will always be people who will give authority to themselves that God has never given. You know what authority that God and Yahushua alone have? They don't make any errors. Right? They make no mistakes. It's called inerrancy. If you belong to a church and the leader says, and you believe that the leader never makes mistakes, that's not the right church. <laughs> the only church that is the right church is the one who recognizes Yahusha as the king who does not make any errors or any mistakes. How else can we recognize the lordship of Yahusha? Let's find out what, Yah what the Bible warns us about because it's like taking over what only belongs to Yahushua HaMashiach. Revelation 13, 16, and 17, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. How else does the Bible uh, show the people who try to replace Yahushua HaMashiach as the one who has authority over his people. He will, give a, he will display authority that doesn't belong to him by giving a mark. And this mark is very powerful. Why? Because of this mark, well, they can do things that they could not do otherwise. This is why whoever has this mark has ownership over them. This is why the Bible says, all of them, whether rich or free, slave or poor, if they have this mark, well, they can do things. But if they don't have this mark, they cannot do those things because the authority that was given to them is from the one who gives the mark. This is why any church or religion that has a leader that gives a mark and that mark gives you special privileges, guess what? That cannot be the true church. Why? Because that church has a false leader. Only Yahusha has authority over the people inside his church. What else should we recognize about Yahusha's lordship that only belonged to him? 
Revelation 3, 5, 7. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. What else should we recognize and believe about the lordship of Yahusha, which was believed in by the apostles and the early Christians? We believe that Yahusha is Lord, not just of, heaven, of earth, but also heaven, because he has authority over the book of life. What else was he given? The keys of David, because he has authority over everlasting life. And so if there's a church and recognizes their leader to have power to edit the book of life, what do you think about that church? That can't be the true church. If in that church, the leader claims that he has privileges and authority, just like what was given to Yahusha, the keys of David, so that what he opens cannot be shut, what he shuts cannot be opened, that's not the true church. The true church believes only Yahusha, Yahusha the Christ, has those privileges and powers and authorities. What else must we recognize about the lordship of Yahusha? Remember, the true church believes that Yahusha is Lord, the same way the early Christians believed his lordship. What else? First Peter 2, 24, 25. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and, and live for what is right. By his wounds, you were healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. What else must we believe if we truly believe that Yahushua is our Lord in the same way that was believed by the apostles in the first century. We must believe that this Lord is also our shepherd. And what is the role of this shepherd? He is the guardian of our souls. So if you belong to a church and you believe someone else to be the guardian of your souls, well, how can that be the church that still belongs to Yahushua the Christ? Because the one who is... The, the church that belongs to Yahushua the Christ is the one who believes that Yahushua is the shepherd. And who is that shepherd? He's the one whose wounds, who's, he's the one who by his wounds, our wounds are healed. Who is that? Yahushua the Christ. In other words, we must believe that our true shepherd is who? Yahushua. He's our true, quote unquote, executive minister. He's our true leader even here on earth. And how can we prove that we accept him as our Lord and Savior. John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You say that you have, that you believe Yahushua is your Lord. Yahushua said, don't call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to follow me. How do we follow him? By listening to his voice. And what does the voice of Yahushua HaMashiach speak to us all? In Revelation 1, 10 to 11, it is revealed in his message to the seven churches. This is why we have this study concerning the voice of Yahushua. Those who belong to the true church today, guess what? They follow the voice of who? Yahushua. They follow these 20 commandments, 20 commandments that was given by Yahushua for his church. It could be actually more than 20, depending on how you look at it. But the point is, Yahushua had a message for his church. And those who belong to his church, 
are, they are the ones who follow his voice. So, so far, we have accomplished one through five. Are we doing all this? Yeah. Let's go to number six. One hope based on a calling. You see, we also have hope. What is our hope, brethren? What is our hope? As members of the Church of Christ, what is our hope? That we will be given access to everlasting life. Many claim that hope. However, our hope must be based upon a calling. What is that calling? Let's read what it says in the book of 2 Peter 1, 10 to 11. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua the Christ. We have also a more sure word of prophecy for unto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What is the basis of our calling? What is our hope? Our hope is to enter everlasting life. But before we can have that hope to be a sure hope, it has to be based upon our calling. What is our calling based upon? The same basis the apostles had in the first century. What is that? The more sure word of prophecy. The church that we belong to now, does it have a basis in prophecy? Our hope that we have now, does it have a basis in prophecy? Yeah. What are the, what are the prophecies that testify to the work that we do now? One is Isaiah, right? 1, 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. What is our belief? What is this prophecy all about? It's about what will happen to the daughter of Zion in these last days. What shall become of the daughter of Zion? The Bible says they will turn away from the father. And become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what did Yahuwah, our God, do? He set apart a very small remnant. That is us, a very small remnant. Why are we sure? Well, what happened to the daughter of Zion? What happened to the city of God? Which is why God had to set apart a very small remnant. Let's read what it says in 21-23. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice, righteousness. You should dwell in her, but now murderers. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Why was it necessary for the father, our God, to set apart a small remnant for himself? What happened to the daughter of Zion? They were led astray by their leaders. In fact, what does the Bible call their leaders? Rulers were supposed to be shepherds, but they became rulers. What kind of rulers? Rulers who rebel. What else describes their leadership? The Bible says they have become a harlot. What does harlotry refer to in prophecy? It's when you have connections with, when you work together with the government of nations, right? What else? The Bible says they love bribes. Companions of thieves chasing after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow's case does not come before them. Question, are we doing any of this? Because the church that exhibits this behavior prophesied in Isaiah, that's not the true church. 
He can tell you that much. And so Yahuwah, what did he do? He set apart a very small remnant. What is the hope of the very small remnant? Let's continue reading verse 26. I will restore your judges as in days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. What is our hope? That Yahuwah, our God, will give to the very small remnant judges and counselors. What is the work of judges and counselors to preach the word of God? This was the work in the Old Testament. The work today is to preach the word of God. What is the hope? What is the objective of the very small remnant that they will become the city of what? Righteous. What is the, the what does righteousness of God refer to again? The book of Romans 1, 16, 17. It refers to what? The gospel. The words of God. And so when people ask us, you know, brother. What is your right to preach the word of God? It's right there. It's right there. Yes, the Bible says in Revelation 7, 2 to 3, that we have sealed the servants of our God on the foreheads and we're part of that commissioning. However, to make sure that there are people who understand that even now, we still have the, the right and privilege to preach the word of God. God gave that prophecy. Judges and counselors will preach the righteousness of God. What else is the prophecy? Zechariah 13, 8 to 9, the three, the three groups, right? How many groups comprise the church of Christ as a whole? Three. What happened to the third group? It's going to go through the fire. What will happen after it goes through the fire? They will be tested. And what will happen because of the testing? There will be a very small remnant left. And how can we recognize a very small remnant? They will call upon what? The name of Yahuwah. Another prophecy that testifies to our work. What else? Isaiah 43, 5 to 7. We know this prophecy well. The question is, when was this fulfilled? It depends. Because it has three fulfillments. Actually, it has four fulfillments. Number one, it was fulfilled in the Far East. It was also fulfilled in the Far West. When the Church of Christ was registered in the Philippines and also in the United States. What else? The Bible says the church will also be called by my name. The name that God created for his glory. What name is that? Name of Yahusha. This is why one day, brethren, we will be called Yahushas. We will be recognized as church of Yahusha because that's the name given by God that is to be used for our salvation. And this is why we have that prophecy. What else? Why is it important for us to have prophecy? Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Yahusha. Worship God for the testimony of Yahusha is the spirit of prophecy. Why do we need prophecy? Because that's the equivalent of the testimony of who? Yahusha. Anyone can claim we belong to Yahusha. What is important is what Yahushua says, the testimony of Yahushua himself. When Yahushua says, they belong to me, they belong to him. That's the testimony that counts. The testimony that counts is not our testimony, but the testimony of the Savior himself. What is the testimony of Yahushua? The spirit of prophecy. And you know what Yahushua speaks of concerning those who belong to him? Let's read the book of Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of 
Yahushua the Christ. And so here, the Bible speaks of the woman. Not only of the woman, but the seed of the woman. That's the daughter of Zion in these last days. But what else does the Bible mention? The remnant of that seed. What is that? The very small remnant. And what is their characteristic? They keep the commandments of God. What else? We also have the testimony of Yahushua the Christ. Do we have the testimony of prophecy? We have so many. So many prophecies that testify to us and to our work, including what? In John 17, 24 and 26, if you read verse, this is what Yahushua says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world the righteous father although the world has not known you yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known Yahushua says those who were given to him who will see the glory of the son and the glory of the father what does Yahushua say concerning them? What is his prophecy concerning them? Yahushua says, I will make your name known to them. Was this fulfilled in us? Yes. What's the proof? In Joel 2, 31, 32, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahuwah. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as Yahuwah has said, among the remnant whom Yahuwah calls. Was Yahusha's prophecy concerning the sheep that was given by the Father to him to take care of, who will see his glory, that they will know the name of the Father. Was that fulfilled? Yes. Joel, the prophet, said, before judgment becomes, what will happen? The Bible says there's going to be a remnant whom Yahuwah calls. How will we know this remnant whom Yahuwah calls? They will call on the name of Yahuwah. And so, brethren, when you look at all these prophecies, it just adds more and more evidence that what we're doing is really of God. And so when we look at the six characteristics so far, we pass them all. We have confidence. We belong to the church of Christ today. But there's a last one, right? keeps the unity of the spirit in one body. And like what we said, not all unity is the same. What kind of unity is the unity of the church of Christ? Let's read the book of John 17, 2023. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. They may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. According to scriptures, what kind of unity is unity of the spirit? It is being one with Yahuwah and Yahusha. It's called perfected unity it is being one with the father and one with the son and how can we recognize those who have this perfect unity in john as well we're saying in the same chapter to get the context it says here i have manifested your name 
for the men you have given me out of this world. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. They may be one, even as we are one. Bible says the true unity, the unity of the Spirit, is the unity between the Father and the Son. And this unity is manifested in what? The name. You notice that? That's why Yahushua said, your name was given to me. It's like one name. And this is the rallying cry of those whom God give, gave to Yahushua. This is why one of the things that we are united about is the belie believing the name of the Father and the Son. Yahuwah, our God, and Yahushua, HaMashiach. And so because we have this unity, what kind of unity is it? Let's read the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, 11 and 13. So now, Yahushua and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Yahushua is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. And so how is this unity that is with the father and his son characterize that? The Bible says we have the same father as Yahushua. Yahushua says, I call you my brothers and sisters. What is their distinctive mark? They have received the name of the father. This is why when you look at true unity, it is unity with the son, unity with the father, and we have this unity, one of which is by the use of the name of our God. One last part before we pray. There's another kind of unity that the Bible speaks about. What is that? Let's read, let's read the book of 1 John, chapter 1, 2, down to 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Yahushua the Christ. How many here have heard this verse before? probably heard it so many times right is it good to have fellowship with the father and with the son yes but how can we have this fellowship with the father and with the son the apostles say have fellowship with us and why does he say that because he says our fellowship is with the father and with the son Yahushua Christ however what is it that will bring us into fellowship with Yahuwah and Yahusha. Is it the person of the apostles? Is it the leaders themselves? No. It is what they proclaimed. You see that? We proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship. And so it is what was proclaimed and how we respond to what is proclaimed that can bring us to fellowship with the Father and His Son. And so what was proclaimed by the apostles there? Let's read verse 2. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Yahushua Christ. What was proclaimed that we need to respond to so that we can have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with His Son? 
what was proclaimed was the one who was life itself. Who is that? Who do you think that is? That's Yahushua, right? The one who is proclaimed is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father. And so for us to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, we must believe in Yahushua, the Christ. We must have fellowship with him. It's not about the apostles. You notice the apostles did not preach themselves. They preached to Yahushua. He's the important one because he is the one who is life itself. And so by being connected with Yahushua the Christ, we have fellowship with the Father. What the question is, how do we remain in fellowship with the Father? And so all we have to do, we read verses 2 down to 3, let's read 5 to 7. This is the message we heard from Yahushua and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, and we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Yahushua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How can we remain in fellowship with the Father and his son? The Bible says when we live in the light, because when we live in the darkness, even if we say we have fellowship with God, even if we say we have fellowship with the son, the Bible says we're liars. So what is important for us to remain in fellowship with God, to remain in fellowship with the Son? We have to live in the light. What does that mean to live in the light? What does it mean to live in darkness? Well, let's keep reading. Same book. We read 5 to 7. Let's read now what it says in 2, 9 to 11. This is written. If we say that we are in the light, yet, what does it say? Hate others. We are in the darkness to this very hour. I want to pause there for a while. Because the one who asked the question asked with the assumption that we are not or no longer in the true church of Christ. And so he's claiming that he's in the light. We are in darkness. But how can we tell who's in the light and who's in darkness? The Bible says if we say that we are in the light, because anyone can say that, People would probably say, I'm in the light, but your actions reveal yourself, right? Our actions reveal where we stand. The Bible says if we say we are in the light, which is what many people will claim, our church is the only true church, right? We are in the light. The Bible says if we say we are in the light, yet hate others. We are in the darkness to this very hour. If we love others, we live in the light. And so there's nothing in us that will cause someone else to sin. But if we hate others, we are in the darkness. We walk in it and do not know where we are going because the darkness is made blind. Isn't that true? It's so easy to claim that we are the only true church. You're outside the church and so you have no God. Wait a minute, we have to look at ourselves. Us too, we have to look at ourselves. What are we promoting in our preaching? What do we mention of God in our public prayers? Do we mention a God? Destroy the enemies? Destroy the people who are against us? I mean, if you say things like that, you're promoting hatred, right? If you're saying things like, do not speak with them anymore, do not fellowship with them anymore, you're promoting hatred. The Bible says that is not of the light, it is of darkness. And so they do not remain in fellowship with father and with the son and so when we look at the seven characteristics we can already tell which church truly belongs to 
Yeah. A true church is the one who believes one God. Who is he? The Father. The true church practices and believes the same baptism that was preached and practiced by the apostles. They have the same faith based upon the scriptures that have been written. They have one spirit, the same spirit that was manifested in the first century, the same one even today. They have one Lord who is Yahushua HaMashiach, the one who has the keys, David, and who has control over the book of life. Number six, they have a calling. They have prophecy that testify to the work and they keep the unity of the spirit manifested by the name and the love that they promote. They promote the name of God, the love of God, that's the church that belongs to Yahushua HaMashiach. That's the true church of Christ today. This is why if someone will say, we belong to the true church, our next question should be, prove it. You got to show it. You can't just claim it. You got to show it. We believe through the use of scriptures, we were able to demonstrate, to show the true church bears these characteristics because these are the characteristics of the one body of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes. Yahuwah our God, yes. thank you for the sending of your Holy Spirit, yes. revealing to us what we need to proclaim, yes. including your set-apart name. Father, thank you for the prophecies yes, which serve as a guiding light. Yes. Thank you, O oh Father, for giving us hope despite what has happened to us. Amen. Father, teach us to live by love and according to yes. love. Help us to always look out for the needs of others. Yes. Help us to do our best to be helpful, not hurtful. Yes. In doing so, we can represent your love yes. and represent your work here Amen. on earth. Father, please bless your people. Yes. Father. May you always help us to understand your truth. Yes. Help us to follow you, yes. to yes. deepen our relationship with you. We are truly thankful because you have long suffering. Yes. And because of your long suffering, although we deserve your punishment, you give us many opportunities yes. to repent from our sins and to return to you. Amen. This is what we do now. May you please be with your people yes. and strengthen us once again. Yahusha HaMashiach, we also worship you. Yes. You are our Lord. You have control over the book of life. Yes. You have the keys of David. Yes. You are our true Mashiach. And yes. so we will obey you without complaining, for you are our one and only Lord. Amen. Please save us on the day of your return yes. and remember our names. Amen. Father, please heal your people. Yes. Those who are sick among us yes. and provide us with the peace that we need. Amen. We believe you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.